0: And that's what luxury is about, is like, it's these tensions, this dance with modernity on one side and and heritage on the other. And I love the idea of a dance with paradoxes, because if you think about a dance, it's a very timed, very organised and structured choreography in order to be beautiful.
1: What a beautiful way to describe luxury, like a dance between modernity and heritage. Dana verde is my guest on today's episode of Lives of Tomorrow. She's the co-founder and CEO of Positive Luxury, a company that supports luxury brands committed to sustainability and protecting the environment. Dana's a leader in her field, and today we discuss the future of luxury retail, explore how brands can be sustainable, and what innovations are disturbing the luxury retail industry. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN the world's leading trend forecasting company. Welcome to Lives of Tomorrow. Diana, back over to you. To start, could you please introduce yourself?
0: First and foremost, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to see you again after so many, 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 many years. So I am Diana Vergnieto. I am the author of Reimagining Luxury, the co-founder of Positive Luxury. I'm an advisor to Sustainovate, which is an innovation company, and also the UN. So I'm super excited to be here with you today.
1: So the whole purpose of this podcast is discussing, debating what the future looks like. And that's both from a kind of industry perspective, but also how it's going to affect real people. So how do you define luxury? Because there are so many permutations of that. There's lots of trendy ways to talk about luxury. But for you, what defines true luxury?
0: My personal definition of luxury is about time and time with the people I love. I think luxury as an industry has been going through a makeover because this is the first time in history in which we have five generations defining luxury. That's why the definition of luxury has so much tension. When I was writing my book, I had the pleasure to interview many luxury leaders Chantel Gampale, who sits at the board of LVMH, defined luxury as a dance with paradoxes. And I love that. On one side is the modernity and the actualization of everything. And on the other side is, of course, the heritage side. And I love the idea of a dance with paradoxes because if you think about a dance, it's a very timed, very organized and structured choreography in order to be beautiful. And that's what luxury is about, is these tensions, this dance with exactly that, modernity on one side and, and heritage on the other. But also is what does it mean to be a luxury brand today? And one of the things is diversification. So luxury brands, we think that they're stuck in time and actually they are at the forefront of innovation. They innovate into the business models, they innovate in the way that they produce, they innovate all the way throughout what other sectors they should be in, and they experiment with that. So if you think about luxuries, the luxury experience, which goes beyond the buying up physical things, is your retail experience, is what you experience in the hospitality industry. And also the fact that they are diversifying and they are investing in different areas as well, like, you know, circular economy and resale and so on and so forth. So luxury is definitely reimagining themselves. And this is the era of of that, of reimagining luxury.
1: If we just look back 10 years before we get into the kind of future view of it, What do you think are the main things that have changed for this market in the past decade?
0: I think in the last decade, the main changes is democratisation of luxury and we will see more of that. We would have never thought that the Paris Olympic Games will be sponsored by a luxury brand like LVMH. Yet, it is. Also, the fact that Gen Zs are buying into luxury. So the pre-love Phenomenon. Before, probably about two, three years ago, the age of a person coming into the first contact with luxury was 18 years old. Today is 15 average global. Other things that has happened is leaning into technology, and a lot. I mean, the pandemic has helped onto that, and now you could have a true luxury experience online, which doesn't mean a lot of packaging. It means how do you buy? how to choose, and so on. The leaning into the circular economy in terms of the resale market, but also into the investment onto platforms like the Vestia Collective, for example. Or IO is another one of those platforms in which it's totally circular. And legislation had a lot to do with this makeover of luxury because the European Union is pushing for a lot of environmental and social legislation. And, you know, luxury is headquarters mainly in Paris. Of course, you have luxury houses all over the world, but the capital of luxury is Paris and Italy. And then it's about vertical integration. And I think this is actually, probably in the last couple of years, is what we have seen is is reshoring for starts and secondly, investing in suppliers, in their suppliers. And this has been a phenomenal thing that we have seen more and more accelerate in the last five years. So most luxury houses have bought suppliers and actually have opened those suppliers to work with everybody else. So it's that democratization of their value chain as well. So it's not about the exclusivity. It's making the factories and the supply chain better so everybody can enjoy that. So I think we
1: have moved a long, long way from these exclusive to this inclusive exclusivity. It is interesting seeing how Let's talk about high street versus luxury, the lessons that each have learnt from each other, things like collaborations, which have become just sort of ubiquitous across fashion and beauty and and anything kind of connected to those industries, but also that use of new technologies as well. But if it comes to the sustainable angle, do you think that the luxury brands have led there or do you think they've been forced into it? Who are you kind of supporting and holding up as a role model when it comes to being genuinely sustainable in the fashion or beauty space?
0: It's very hard to have somebody as a role model because we are so imperfect and we should celebrate those imperfections. But I think that if you look at the overall industry, both the luxury industry and the high street, you see that they are learning from each other. So when you look at vertical integration, I don't know who was first, but that is both of them are leaning into that. If you think about specific lines with less products, you can see Sarah Atelier, for example, doing exactly that with a higher price point. Also, the fact that the raw materials are so expensive and much more expensive than has been, the cost of water, industrial water is really high, the cost of transport for all the reasons that you just said. So the cost of doing business is higher than it used to be. So therefore, the price have to be higher than it used to be. And the fact is the consumer awareness in terms of buying less and buying better is super important. Even the fact that it's buying the options. So you can rent, you can lease, you can trade. There is apps in which you can trade your stuff. You don't need to buy it, rent it or lease it. So the business models have expanded beyond the commercial linear systems that we used to have.
1: It's just good that they are all going in in a positive direction of one sort or another.
0: Exactly. And the fact that there is a mindset change that is happening in business leaders to really consider social environmental factors as part of the business. And I think that because of legislation and the new challenges that are posing, we are entering this reimagining era where innovation would play a pivotal role in order to reimagining the world, everything, business models, manufacturing processes, the way that we treat people. I mean, the pandemic has started to force this new thinking, but we are accelerating to this reimagining era where sustain- sustainability and innovation will lead hand in hand
1: so is the era of Sustainovate, really. Sustainovate. I have not heard that phrase. I am now going to steal it and utilize it a lot. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about the innovation that you've seen then, because that's an exciting thing to think about and probably something that, you know, listeners of this podcast might not be aware of. They're very aware, I guess, of the products that they see either online or maybe in store. They might well be aware of someone like an LVMH, which has got, you know, fashion and beauty and hotels and alcohol brands It all comes together. But what what's the kind of true innovation that you're seeing in this space?
0: Oh, my God, so much. And when you think about innovation, people think about complete revolution. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about hacks, literally small little hacks that make a massive difference. So i give you an example. When you think about credit cards and credit card payment, I think it's something something close to 10 billion transactions a day. Do you know those little tickets that you get after you pay with a credit card? That's paper. If you kind of add up that over a year, it's Gazillions. I mean, my my brain cannot adapt that over a year. It's too many. So when you think about hotels, for example, and paperless transactions, this is a massive impact. When you think about also another piece of innovation in the hotel industry is the cards. You know, when you go to your room, you have a, either a card, plastic or wood. If you think about hotels in the world, how many people travel, and how many. People a day lose those cards or don't return them where they leave. Again, gazillions. There is this amazing new innovation in which you have you can actually open your room with your phone. Totally, utterly, paperless, plasticless, everything. So, but when you add add those tiny little you know numbers, it's a crazy difference, and that is really a lot of savings. So when you think about innovation, I think about hacks. more than just the big, big, big innovation with capital letters. And I think this is what we're going to see more.
1: You should be doing the like government campaigns around this kind of stuff rather than than the governments we've got trying to do it at the moment because that's a really good point. It's a really good point.
0: Yeah, I mean, hacking the systems because everybody talks about system change. And when you think about system change, it's really hard to know which system are you trying to change. The micro system, the big systems, we can't do system change in a global scale. It's too big. But when you think about the small little hacks that a company can do and can empower people to do, then and you that you add up into eight billion people, then the difference is exponential. And this is the kind of innovation that, when I have been researching my book and started to see, and there are gazillions of examples like that. So many and i think this is what you know this reimagining era is all about is really looking at what are those hacks how companies can lean into those and how we can accelerate that type of innovation i mean when you think about the scale that transitioning and adapting to a new energy source will take it's overwhelming and i always say i come from the developing world i'm from argentina and i I learned throughout all of these years I live in the u k to play this translator role, because sustainability does doesn't fit everybody in the same way. When I talk about sustainability in the developing world, it means social equity means being able to put food in, for children in the table.
1: And what you were saying there about making new innovation more accessible to what would traditionally be seen as a competitor I think is also really interesting and certainly would change my perception of some of these brands that they are sharing best practice so the world in a in a small kind of way gets gets better as a consequence which is which is really interesting
0: absolutely and if you think of somebody like caring i mean caring has been leading this space and I had the pleasure to to actually interview Mary Claire the the head of sustainability and The things that she shared with me is about the fact that they do truly believe in opening their knowledge to everybody. They're incredibly collaborative. They have funds with companies like L'Oreal and L'Occitane. They actually have a materials bank that anybody can access, big designers, small designers. So, you know, I think luxury brand is, is becoming collaborative in terms of their approach. If you think about LVMH, for example, they have been incubating Different companies. They Nona Source is one of the company that have come out of their innovation program. And you can buy materials from any of the houses. And you can make your own dresses or shirts, whatever you want. And there are an incredible accessible pricing. The quality is the quality that you have into any of those houses. So the innovation is there, it's just you have to look a little bit harder for it and it's becoming the norm uh, in terms of luxury houses innovating in this space in order to
1: become a source of ease for other brands. I guess what I'm interested in is, are they doing this because of governments and legislation and potential sanctions? Are they doing it because the consumer is demanding it? Or are they doing it because it's the right thing to do? Which of those three do you think it is? I think it's a combination of all of them. But there is a fourth one,
0: which is these brands have been around for hundreds of years. Some of them 40, some of them 100, some of them 200 years. When you have some, a brand or anything that has been around 200 years, you know that the only way to stay relevant is to innovate.
1: Right. We're going to come back to this topic in a minute, but I'm now going to pause and ask you some quick-fire questions, uh, which I ask all of my guests. So don't think too much. Just say the first thing that comes into your head. When are you happy?
0: When I'm out with
1: my dog. <laughs> What's your dog called? That's not on my list of questions, but I'm interested anyway. Rufus. <laughs> what is your worst characteristic? I move things around the house. <laughs> And nobody can find them. <laughs> what time of day is your favourite?
0: Oh my God, four o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the morning is my best
1: time for thinking. Are you up at that time? You're just lying in bed thinking?
0: No, when I wrote my book, that was my time of writing 4am to 3pm. That was my absolute best time
1: I mean, I I just lie in bed and think and worry about things rather than getting up and doing something productive with that time, which is probably what I should be doing. What is the last song you listened to on Spotify? Do I have to say this aloud? Yes, you do. The more embarrassing, the better.
0: The Final (laughs) countdown. I was in Argentina with my family, so that explains it.
1: It doesn't really explain it to me. I still need a bit more information.
0: The band is called like Europe or something like that. And uh, we were doing karaoke and that was the
1: last song I actually (laughs) played on my Spotify. (laughs) Brilliant, are What is the theme of your current daydreams? My current daydream,
0: if I have to be honest, I would love to build an orphanage in my home country so I can host... All those kids that have access to nothing.
1: They're too many. Do you think that's something you actually might do one day? I really hope so, I do. Wow. Okay, so this is this is another everyone needs to go out and buy the book and then start filling up your coffers so that you can do that. And what is your go-to dish when you're cooking? Chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Anything based with chocolate. But if I have to say what is my go-to dish, I say tortilla. Amazing. Okay. Right. We're going to go back into the topic at hand now. What three trends do you see having the biggest impact on the luxury space?
0: Accountability. People think transparency is important, but transparency without accountability is meaningless. So I always say transparency is about having your list of suppliers on the website, but which one of those suppliers are actually good? That's where accountability comes in. So I think that's one. Collaboration is absolutely crucial, and I think that we can't do anything as fast as we need to alone. Collaboration is absolutely fundamental, and innovation is the last one, which, like I said,
1: innovation with perhaps
0: smaller eye, which is about hacking the systems.
1: If I had a a small fashion brand, let's just say, and aspirations to grow that, but understand that what might be successful today isn't going to be successful tomorrow. When you're giving advice and you work with lots of these brands, where do you tell them to start? Because it does feel quite overwhelming. What What is the starting point to get on that constant journey of innovation and change?
0: I think the starting points have changed and it keeps changing. So yes, of course, raw materials and so on and so forth. But also, do you need to stand a brand alone? I think that ecosystems are the thing and we have everything that we need we don't need anymore I mean so how do we reinvent the system right now so do you want to have a brand on your on your own do you want to do that with a friend what would it look like and really really truly reimagine how and what are you doing so will you have a brand that perhaps I don't know is modular instead of just kind of making clothes in the normal way? Or do you have a brand that has, you know, seasonless type clothing and you can just buy the rest of the accessories that you need in order to make it warmer or not? I mean, you can skin it in so many different ways, but I think that it's about really having that flexibility of thinking the unthinkable. I just want to say, I interviewed Dan Carter. Dan Carter is probably one of the greatest All Blacks. Ever lived. He is a twice World Cup winner and an incredibly inspirational player. It's my third favorite number 10. Messi, Maradona, Dan Carter. Anyway, (laughs) he told me two incredible lessons from the Old Blacks. The first one is never look at the scoreboard, which is basically play every bit of the game and build towards success. And the second one is the Old Blacks train to think about the unthinkable. So almost like Alice in Wonderland, think six unthinkable things before breakfast and play every game with, okay, what would happen if I have two players less? What would happen if my kicker got sent off? What would happen if... So think the unthinkable. So when you build a business thinking the unthinkable, you're prepared.
1: I think the point that any individual, any business leader anybody working well actually in any space can learn from that and yet this is sport and it's a very particular sport as well can we just talk about generations for a moment because whether we're talking about sustainability whether we're talking about fashion whether we're talking about luxury there are different um perceptions of that how do you see the i guess the youngest generation or not quite the youngest generation but gen alpha who are going to be they Well, they have spending power in terms of their influence, but they are going to be controlling their own spending power in the not too distant future. How do you think they're going to change the world of luxury? Wow.
0: I mean, the Gen Zs and Alphas will be to sustainability what the millennials were to digital. And they will have the power to really reimagine the world in the way they want it. So they might challenge commerce for trading. This is something that nobody's seen. But what if, what if trade? Swapping? at scale, becomes the thing. They have the power and the ability to literally reimagine everything. If you talk to 12, 13 years old, they have jobs. They have hacks. I mean, it's amazing how many school kids are like photographers or this or that. They want to work. And they're actually really motivated into changing things. They challenge the status quo. They have their own mind. And because information is so much freely available, they actually get together and discuss things and they explore things, themes that we never, as growing up, I never did. And they lean into each other and they collaborate. So they are much more respectful of one another than probably my generation ever be. And they are a lot more inclusive, tolerant. They are
1: impatient, but they are more tolerant. One final question. Are you more anxious or hopeful about the future? I would normally say the future of the topic in hand, but I'm just going to keep it very, very broad. Are you more anxious or hopeful about the future?
0: I am hopeful about the future because I am hopeful about the ability of the human race to survive. We, and when I talk about we, I'm talking about sustainability professionals have an absolutely terrible job in building a positive image of the future. We haven't done that. And that's what we need. We need a positive future, a positive narrative of what the future could be. And I think that as we are entering this reimagining era and as we are entering the alphas and the Gen Zs getting more responsible for the narratives, I think we will be able to put together a collective vision of the future that is positive and hopeful instead of this complete doom and gloom of climate narrative that nobody wants to be part on and is fearful. So I think that we are sustainability practitioners are responsible for the fear and the anxiety that we have caused young people. And now we need to put it right. We really need to put it right and we need really need to create a collective vision of the future that is positive and is aspirational. So we started talking about Coca-Cola and although I'm not a fan of Coca-Cola, as I say, but one thing that Coca-Cola has done through the hundred years of history is they have created a happy brand, which is always synonymous of, of hope. And that is why they're still relevant in many countries in the world. So I really hope that that's what we see is a positive narrative, not a naive one, but that we can aspire instead of something that we fear. The future is not to fear. The future is there to be built. And now we have the opportunity to reimagine it together.
1: thank you so much to Diana Verde Nieto, co-founder and CEO of Positive Luxury, for joining us today to discuss the future of luxury. Next week, WGSN's Create Tomorrow podcast is back with another episode examining the future of product and design. If you want to get in touch with us, give us some feedback or maybe input to the podcast, please send an email to lives at wgsn.com. I'm Carla Buzashi, CEO of WGSN. I'll see you next time.